This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. If you would please turn with me to two different passages of Scripture. First of all, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. This has been the theme verse for this series, which I don't usually do, but I felt like this was a really a key verse. And then second, or I'm sorry, then Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 will be my second place that I go. We're in this third week of this Unseen Love series, and I promise I'm getting to a place where we talk about the love, because at this point, we've been dealing with the unseen. It's been all about the unseen, and I've challenged you to over-spiritualize everything, and I hope that in your homes this week, I, I really, really do. I hope that in your, in your homes and in your relationships in different places, I hope that you're starting to see the things that you really see are not actually the problem. They're not actually what they appear to be, but in reality, it's the unseen that's taking place in this battle that's taking place not against flesh and blood, not against each other, but it's taking place in an unseen world against principalities of darkness and rulers of dark places. I'm hoping that you're beginning to see that. You're beginning to be sensitive to the fact that what we actually see is not what we really truly should be seeing because it's not really what's taking place. And so I hope that in your homes this week, I hope that maybe you've seen that in, in different relationships, maybe your, your marriage relationship, maybe with your kids, maybe men, you, you've woken up to something this week and something stirred inside of you and you want to protect your role as a godly man. Today I want to continue this thought, and I want to talk about the church. I want to talk about the church, the unseen in the church. The key verse that we've been looking at is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. It says, as we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are not, or that are unseen, excuse me. For things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's been the whole mindset. That's been the whole thought process. That's been everything to do with this whole, uh, whole series is that everything that we see is, is going to go away. This very life that I look at in the mirror and I see myself, I'm only temporary. I'm a temporary alien living here on this earth, and eventually I'm going home to glory to be with Jesus. Everything we see is temporary. And so this whole thought process has been about the things that we see are transient. They're going to end. They're temporary. They're not, they're not lasting forever, but the unseen is eternal. And so I want us to look through that lens today at the church. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, and I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. It says, so... Now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. I'm purposely pausing because there's some really key points I want us to focus in on. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Let's look at four thoughts. First of all, out of that passage, just almost as an introduction to where we're headed. First of all, the church is the house of God. Okay? We're carefully joined together, verse 21, in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. The number one thing we must establish is the church is a house of God. Okay? Number two is we are built on those before us. He said, you are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. That means that it's not about me. It's not about what I've done. It's not about what I'm even able to bring to the table. I'm, we're building something based on the foundation of what was laid before us. We look at scripture. We look at, at the prophets. We look at the writers of the New Testament. Everything we have to do, everything we're called to do is based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that went before us. There is a foundation to the church. Number three, Christ is the cornerstone. He is the one where it all starts. When, when they would build a, a structure, there would be one stone that would be laid in the corner, and that would be the, the marking point. The walls would go that way from here. It would go that way from here. Everything had to be square based on that one cornerstone. Christ must be the center. He must be the starting point. He must be the focal point of the church, according to this passage in Ephesians. Number four, we're united with Christ and should be united with each other. He said, you're all citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're a member of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We're carefully joined together in him. There's unity among the body and unity in that with him. We are the church. I want to give you three areas I believe that the church of the church that Satan will attack. Three areas. Number one, the leadership. I want to talk about me. Is that okay? Don't worry. I'll talk about you in a minute. The leadership. Paul is talking to the elders at Ephesus when he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Remember last week, first of all, let's step back. Last week I told you that we have the devil's playbook, right? It's almost as if we go to war, we're going to battle, we're going to play this football game, and the coach of the other team said, here, here's my playbook. Here you can defeat me if you'll just read the playbook. We've got the playbook because Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God wants to bless and prosper, everything that God puts together. Satan's desire is to take that out. Therefore, if I've got the word of God and I see that everything in this book is what God wants for me, this is the direction. The opposite of this would be Satan's playbook, right? 
So if, if Paul's talking to the, the leaders and he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He's attempting to give some instruction for the pastors, making it known to them that they've been put in place by the Holy Spirit. So the devil's playbook would be very clear to say, first of all, it would try to do anything possible to keep the pastor or the overseer distracted from caring for the flock. With me? It would also do anything possible to try to convince the pastor or the overseer of the flock that the, the, the flock given to him really wasn't given by the Holy Spirit. I'm just reading the word backwards, if you will. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock which the Holy Spirit's made you overseers. So if the Holy Spirit's made me an overseer, if he's made me a pastor, Satan wants nothing more than to convince me that God did not do this. You with me? And if he's obtained the church with his blood, there's this doubt that's going to come in for the church to convince the church otherwise. We're just reading it in reverse. Jeremiah 3, 15. He said, I'll give you shepherds for my own heart, after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And if God's going to give shepherds after his heart, doesn't it make sense that Satan would want to, to, to bring the shepherds to a place where they stop chasing God's heart? I've never met a minister that fell or that struggled or that, that went through the, the, the lows of depression, went through some struggle. I've never talked to one that it did not start with the fact they stopped chasing after God's own heart. That's the way it always starts. And it doesn't, it can go just through a little valley and they go and have a bad day. They can have a bad week or they can make this huge fall, whatever it is. But it all starts at this place. Because if God's intention is to give shepherds over the people, over the flock that are after his own heart, it only makes sense to me that Satan's play would be to distract the shepherd and put the shepherd after something else. You with me? He attacks the leadership. Hebrews 13, 17. This is to the church. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's a lot of weight to this passage. I don't think we realize that when a shepherd or a leader is put over a flock, that they're literally charged with keeping watch over the souls, and they're going to give an account for that. Mitchell never understood 
the weight. When I was in student ministry, I never understood the spiritual weight that a pastor carried because of this thought. I was talking to somebody Friday, and they were in this conversation. They weren't very pleased with the way things were going at their church, and they just started talking. So he did me a favor. I said, first of all, I'm the guy that is not like most people. And if you don't believe in the mission and you don't believe in the vision and you can't sow into the house, then for your benefit and for the house's benefit, you need to go find somewhere you can support. I'm going to bless you, not chase you out the door. Don't mishear my heart. It's all about you being fed. And if you can't be fed, then it doesn't make sense for you to sit in the house where you can't be fed. If you can't sow into the ministry, then it doesn't make sense for you to sit in the house where you can't sow. You with me? My provision does not depend on you. Now, if I say something really dumb and stupid and you call the bishop on me this afternoon, the Lord's still good and he's faithful and somehow I'll still have food on my table even through my stupidity. That's not what I'm talking about. If I'm doing what I believe God's called me to do and I'm doing what the Word of God teaches me to do and I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit and you, any, not just us, I don't mishear my heart, I won't even talk to nobody about this church. But the way that I operate is, is if we can't, can, can't be rooted here, then maybe we should be plugged in somewhere else. And I'm okay with that because there's a church on every corner. And somewhere, somehow, I promise anybody that can't get focused and settled here can find somewhere that they can. I said, but don't leave without releasing your pastor. He don't need a reason. He don't, you ain't got to explain it. Don't just quit showing up. Because what happens when I struggle with whether I was really even going to preach all this or not. What happens when you don't show up? Can I just be honest with you? Your pastor carries the weight of your souls, which he has to give an account for. And when we quit showing up, the pastor has to wonder what's actually taking place. It doesn't really matter for me if I say something dumb and I offend you. I'm horribly sorry. But that's not at the top of my priority list. The top of my priority list and the account that I have to give is whether you enter into heaven or whether you enter into hell on the day of judgment. So when you quit showing up two or three Sundays in when you're not here anymore, I, I, there's a burden that I'm carrying. And it's not a burden of whether I offended you or not. If I did, I'm sorry. But that's not really the point. It's a burden of, Lord, what is really taking place here? What's going to happen if in the midst of this moment something takes place? Are they really entering into eternity or not? And I've been on this side where it's not a big deal to not show up. It's not a big deal to not be a part. But now that Mitchell's been on this side, it ain't about numbers. I ain't looked at an attendance record in months. When COVID hit, I said trash them. 
my mind was done. It's not about the attendance. I don't understand the swing sometimes, how we can have 20 and then roll back and have 65 the next Sunday. That don't make a lot of sense to me. But it's not even the point. The point is, the weight is unreal right here. So the way Satan attacks is making that weight that much heavier. What's the answer? Hey, let us do it with joy and without groaning. <laughs> if Satan is going to attack the church, he's going to start with the leadership. I got to move on. Secondly, number two, he's going to attack the body. Romans 12, verse 5 says, So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts, one body, all belonging to each other. If we're all part of one body, it's essential that the whole body is well. If I got a broke arm, the rest of my body is going to struggle. Right? The rest of the body has to be well in order for us to be unified. And when we recognize that the church isn't actually the church, but the church is the, the physical bodies, the church, when one of us is broken, when one of us isn't right, something's messed up, and Satan wants to use that to attack. Acts 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, talks about the unity on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a, a sound uh, from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared onto them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. What was the result of that? It's beautiful. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came over every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done. Why? Because they were unified, and the power of the Holy Spirit had rested on them and descended on them, and they're operating in this. And those all who were believed uh, were together and all had all things in common. They were unified. There was unity. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes day by day. If I told you that we were going to have church every night this week, some of you would be very committed, and I'd be so grateful to that. But in reality, we live in a life where we're struggling to keep up with life itself. We sure enough can't slow down to come to the temple every day. The Lord added to their number, Day by day, those who are being saved, God's desires for his people to be united in mind and heart and in purpose. 1315 Sapona Road is not the Sapona Road Church of God. It's the building located on 1315 Sapona Road that the church gathers in. You with me? Okay, that concept makes sense. That's easy. Good job, Pastor. The struggle is we walk in so often thinking we're walking into the church to go, I mean, please don't. This, I'm just going to simplify this really, really. Put a little quarter in, hop on the little hobby horse, ride our little ride, 
and get back off and walk back out the door. Really? We, is that okay? Thinking we went to the church. Family, that's baloney. You are the church. And when the enemy can convince us that this building is the church, we're messed up. Because then we're only focused on what's inside this building, which is absolutely wrong. Because God's called us to go into all the world, not into the four walls of 1315th upon a road. You with me? So if one of us is messed up, it's not the same as if I bust out this window of this building. If the window's busted, great, we'll get the window changed. That's not the problem. The problem is, is if one of us is broken, if one of us is messed up, if there's dissension between us, if there's disunity between us, then part of the body is damaged and part of the body is messing up the whole body. The structure could collapse and the church be live and thriving and well. But the structure could be beautiful and up and standing and the body be dead, dried up and need to be thrown into trash. We close churches all the time. We shut down the building, but the church died a long time before the building did. You with me? The enemy's going to attack the, the leadership. He's going to attack the body. And he's going to attack your worship. Paul said, we're joined together as a dwelling place for the Lord. Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone. If Satan can do anything to keep Jesus from being the center, he wins. When we stop preaching Jesus-centered messages, when we stop singing, I can sing holy, holy, holy all day long. What you might or might not know was I struggled for years with my calling, whether I was going into some kind of worship ministry, whether I was going into some kind of preaching ministry. It really didn't matter to me because I love to worship. I can stand right here till 5 o'clock today, and I believe that this worship team, we'd be tired, we'd be sitting down, we'd have some water, we'd probably have some food brought in, but we could sit right here and worship Jesus all day long because Jesus is the center of everything we're doing. Why can I sing holy, holy, holy all day? Because it's all about Jesus. And when Satan comes in in any way, shape, or form, if Christ is going to be the cornerstone, it only makes sense that Satan's playbook would be to distract us with something we can see. Something that we don't like. I'm just going, we'll just, ah, la, 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 la. Help me, Lord. It's the preferences it's the things that are not quite like we like them. It's things that we see that really don't matter. The whole concept, I'm a young man. The idea of churches splitting over carpet color is just like this fairy tale story to me, but that is unreal. People are dying and going to hell. Let's have the bare hardwood in here for all I care. You with me? But it's what we see. 
And so we focus on what we can see, never seeing the fact that what's actually taking place behind the scenes, the unseen, what's taking place is Satan has moved Jesus from the center and he's moved him to the side just a little bit so that our focus is now on this thing and Jesus is over there left on the side. And when Jesus is not the cornerstone, this is not his dwelling place. When Jesus isn't the center, when he's not the cornerstone, when our worship is distracted, when it's messed up, when it's not focused around Jesus, then it's not a place he can dwell anymore. He attacks our leadership. He attacks the body. He's going to attack the worship. If he can cut the head off, he's got control. If he can hurt the body, the body's going to die. If he can distract our worship, he has our heart. Josh, would you come help me out? I want to tell you a story. I think I finished. I don't know. Joshua chapter 6 and 7. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. The walls came tumbling down. What happened when the walls came tumbling down? God gave some very specific instructions. He said, you take all the gold and silver and bronze and you put it in the Lord's treasury. Everything else should be destroyed. Every man, woman, livestock burned the city to the ground. And they thought they'd accomplished that. And it didn't really work out. Shortly after, Joshua and the Israelites are on cloud nine, and Joshua's ready to go into the city of Ai. And so he sends these spies into Ai. He said, hey, go check it out. Find out what's going on. These spies come back. They're like, Psh, easy peasy. We don't need but two or 3,000 men. We can go in. We can wipe them out. No problem. Joshua said, great. They send two or 3,000 men in. Those two or 3,000 men come running with their tails between their legs, defeated and beat, even being killed on their way out the door of Ai. And Joshua is mind-blown. And he goes and he, he lays down before the Lord. He said, God, why don't understand? What's, why, you, why did you bring us here for us to be defeated? How did you bring us across if you're not going to let us enter in? And God said, get up. Get up. Why are you laying down before me? Get up. There's sin among the body. And before anything can take place, the sin's got to be dealt with. There's a man, verse 1 of chapter 7, a man named Achan. And Achan thought it'd be a good idea to take this fancy cloak, this silver, and a gold bar. And the Bible said he went and hid it in his tent. When Joshua approached him, 
He said, I got to go, go, go look under my tent. It's actually under my tent, buried in the ground. And they go and they dig it out of the tent. And what, what took place is really unfortunate because they took Achan and all his family and all his stuff out and they destroyed them. Here's the moral of the story. One man infected with sin caused the whole tribe of Israel to lose the battle. I told you I was going to talk about me. That one's all about us. One man who thought it was okay to take from God what was meant to be destroyed. That's the way the Bible words it. He took what was intended to be destroyed. That was the cloak. And then he took the silver and gold, which was meant to be put into the Lord's treasury. So you actually got some of each, some that was, should have been destroyed. And then he was trying to take some of the glory for himself. Because Lord, help us when we try to take some of the glory and pride gets in the way. One man caused Israel to lose the battle. You think Satan won't attack the body? But we don't think it's any big deal because it's just, I'll shut the church, I'll put my quarter in, I'll get on that little pony and I'll just ride along for a minute and I'll get off and I'll go back home the same way I came. You are infecting the body. Now, the blessing is, we ain't got to take y'all back and stone you and destroy you. That's not the point. Because Jesus is the cornerstone and Jesus is a, the living example of grace. And so what takes place is all we've got to do is come back to him and we walk through this healing process. And when we, be, we begin to be healed and, and we begin to see regeneration and regrowth and new growth. And, and now life begins to take place all over again. And that broken finger that was causing us so much pain, the spur on the bottom of my heel that makes me walk weird and makes my left leg hurt and makes my head hurt because I'm just tired and aggravated. That spur can now be fixed because that one person will recognize and realize they're infecting the body. Satan is out to destroy the church. I'm not defeated. It's a sad sob story to think he wants to destroy the leadership, the body, and our worship, but <laughs> he's tried. He can't because the day of Pentecost was the birth of something new and they were sitting there in one mind and one place and the Holy Spirit descended on them like a dove and the rushing mighty wind ran through the room and the power of the Holy Spirit filled the church and the church began to minister and the church began to change the world. He can't defeat the church. He can tear this building down, but he cannot defeat the church. He can try, and he does try. He's tried hard to cut your leader's head off. He's tried hard to destroy the leadership and the body. Lord knows he's tried to destroy the worship. He can't win. How do we deal with it? 
Stand with me and I'll tell you. See it, name it, destroy it. Same thought as last week. You see it, you name it, you destroy it. I didn't share those scriptures at the beginning to put me in any kind of light other than I genuinely want you to see the need that I have for you to pray for your pastor. That's all. A lot of days, I just assume sit on this side because I'm no different than you are. And I'm not apologizing for my calling, and I'm not turning in my calling. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of days. Mitchell would rather sit right here. Because to give an account for souls is a weight. So all I'm telling you is pray for your pastor. I pray for you. Every time somebody comes across my mind, which is often, I stop. I pray. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor's wife. She's the real backbone. Truth be told, like Matthew West says, she's the one that don't let me sit on that side a lot of times. To be honest. This morning, my clock's going off. She said, you got to get up. You're right, baby. Don't be the aching. One man who kept something. What is that thing? Well, it could be anything. It ain't got to be sin. I mean, chances are it is sin, whether it be some great moral failure, whether it be bitterness or anger or pride or selfishness. It ain't got to be the big dirty ones. Not that there's really a difference. What is it that we're holding on to that God's called for destruction? What is it that I'm holding on to that's supposed to be His? Don't let the devil steal your worship. Jesus will be at the center. Jesus will be at the center. We will give out 500 Easter egg bags, Lord willing, Saturday before Easter, but you know what's at the center of those bags? The message of Jesus. It ain't about the bags. It ain't about the candy. It ain't about the money that it's going to cost. Jesus is at the center. So why not give out 500 bags, send 500 bags to 500 households and tell them the message of Jesus? Why not? Jesus is the sinner. 
protect your leadership. Protect your body. Protect your worship. See it. Name it. Destroy it. Father. Oh, Lord, I love you. God, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for your anointing. God, the ability and the guidance to be able to speak a word like you laid on my heart to speak today. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable for me. But I believe it was purposed, God. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the things that we cannot see. Lord, stop us from looking at what's seen. Lord, change us from looking at the things that are seen because the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. They're, they're temporal. They're not going to be here forever. This building will not last forever. Nothing in it will. No style. No preference. Nothing's going to last forever. But you, God, and your message and your power by the Holy Spirit would last forever. Let us not focus on the things we can see, but instead the things that are unseen, for those things are eternal. God, bind us together. Let us be brought together in unity through you, Father, so that we could be a dwelling place for your presence. God, let this house, let, let your people who make up the contents of the house, God, let us be a dwelling place for you. Father, I pray that you would protect the leadership of this house, Lord, myself, and, and all the ministry heads, Father, the leadership making the decisions that, that are calling some of the shots to try to put forth stuff in motion, God. I pray that you would bring unity among that group of people. Father, I pray that you would protect that group of people. Lord, the enemy has tried in different ways to take us out and tried to convince us that we're not called to shepherd the flock, that, that we're not supposed to be over, that, that God, that you really didn't put us in this position, that, that your Holy Spirit didn't put us in this position all that's a lie straight from hell and today we come against that protect our leadership lord father i pray for the body lord if there's one in the house today who is a part of this family who slipped who's fallen who who just needs a hand up father lord i pray god that they recognize the importance of reaching up to get that hand lord don't let them be the aching God, don't let them be the, the little fox who destroyed the vine. God, don't let there be a, a little sin in their life, Father. Don't let there be something going on, God, to, to keep them from this whole thing moving forward. I don't mean to put no pressure on anything, Lord, but Holy Spirit, move in them. Let your love and grace and forgiveness shower over them. Protect our body. Bring us to the place where we're in one mind and one place so that just like on the day of Pentecost, your Holy Spirit can come through the room like a mighty rushing wind and can fill us with a, a new fresh power again. God, lastly, I pray most importantly, you protect our worship. Lord, we recognize that the enemy would want to move our focus away from you, that he'd want to shift it just a little bit so that you wouldn't be the center of that attention, the center of that focus. God, but we bind that and we come against that. Father, let us be founded on a firm foundation. Lord, as that word today said that the, the prophets and apostles have laid before us, God, let your church be founded on that firm foundation where you can't be shaken out of our focus. Let us not be moved so that our attention isn't fixed on you.
Lord, protect our worship today. I thank you, Father, for this great day, this great time together. I thank you, Lord, that surely the presence of the Lord was in the house today. Father, I pray that you bless your people. Keep them, God. Let your face shine on them. Give them grace and peace. Shine your countenance, your face on them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I thank you. Amen.